and welcome to Hot Games in Your Area, a guide to the tabletop hobby for virgin and seasoned gamers alike. I'm Davey. I'm Rob. And I'm Courtney. These games are desperate to meet you, so let's get started. Today, we're going to be talking about deck building games. And before we get into it, um, I would like to give a little bit of definition about what a deck building game is. Deck building games, despite, you know, they are part of the board game genre, but primarily are just cards. Card games, uh, which sure. plenty of board games are, but especially people new to the hobby, I think are always kind of not turned off, but almost like they assume all board games have to have a board. Well, and, and people associate card games with like a regular deck of playing cards. Sure. That's but, why so, we have to say tabletop games. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> not a, just board games. A deck building game is a game that you start with a deck of cards, generally a deck of 10, but there's always exceptions to this and they're all different. Mm-hmm. And the purpose of the game is to acquire other cards not in your deck that are in like a central buy zone or a market row using your early and like given to deck, the deck that you've been pre-constructed and given. And by buying those cards and them going into your discard pile, and I say buying, not in the CCG manner of you buying these cards, but in-game currency buying, they go into your discard pile and inevitably your deck will reshuffle and these cards you have bought will incorporate into your deck. And that is how your engine will get better. Um, A lot of deck builders are kind of synonymous with engine builders. If you think of your deck as this engine that you're crafting and revving up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All deck builders can have all different ways to win. We're actually going to cover a pretty cool spectrum of them today. But the thing they all share is not the way that you win, but the way that you get there, which is the construction of your deck as a mechanism in the game. Yeah, and we did talk about deck buildings a little bit in our first episode, Gateway Games, where I talked about Dominion, which is one of the first deck building games. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is also a really good follow-up on our last episode about trading card games and living card games, because similarly, these are games that have specialized sets of cards and you are building a deck, but you're building it throughout the game. Um, And I'll I'll say for my reintroduction to board games, or not even reintroduction, I was never a huge board gamer, but I was playing some weird, uh, or not weird, but I was playing war games as a kid that I enjoyed. Yeah, but like n- Memoir 44. Memoir 44, and before that, Battle Cry. Sure. Um, which are great introductory war games, but aren't necessarily introductory board games, per se. But deck building is what really got me into the hobby, because I was playing tons of Magic the Gathering, and someone right. sat me down to play Ascension, which is a deck builder Rob will go over. Oh, I didn't know yeah. that. And I was just like, well, this is sweet. To me, as a Magic player at the time, I was like, this is like Magic the Gathering, in a board game form like it's, it's you know it's nothing like magic the gathering but i'm i'm going through all of these emotions and thoughts that i do when i'm thinking about magic as a meta right but it's all happening in a game immediately which is very cool about it um but so uh what makes a good deck building game to me is actually that feeling that i got when i first played ascension this thought of the meta when right. I'm when I'm playing Magic the Gathering or I'm thinking about competitive formats or whatever I'm observing, you know, the meta is this big thing of what are people playing, what decks are they building, what does it look like, and what beats that. That's all shrunk down in a deck building game in a very mm-hmm. cool way that I'm like, what cards are they buying and what is their deck becoming and how do right. I best combat that and so on. That's to me what makes or can make a very good deck building game is this idea of observing the meta, but instead of doing it on this scale of tournament results and week by week basis, and it's all happening in this 45 minute session 
Right. What about you, Rob? What do you think makes a good deck building game? I think my favorite part of a deck building game is the internal variability that you will have in such many. Oh, sure. Many, good RNG. Yeah, the greatness is RNG where you have sometimes you'll do you, have. Do you want to say what you mean by RNG? RNG generally a means random number generator or a random number got generation. It, got it. But mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's re- referencing in video games where like yeah. certain <laughs> parts, like speedrunners will talk about certain parts of a game have RNG and if you hope when you walk into this part of the level, it's just good. So you get right. through it easy. But in, in this game, it's just the randomization of yeah. the game. And, There's and a lot the, of variability. deck builder presenting itself because it's yeah. just a lot of cards and a lot of shuffling. Mm-hmm. I also like the variability of the different ways the game can turn out based on the cards that will be shown up. One game can look completely different than the other, uh, yeah. as opposed to a game of, let's say, Monopoly in a very crude sense. Much of the game is determined simply by a single dice roll, and the, that's the only variable that accounts for. Do you roll dice in Monopoly? Yes, you do. There's two <laughs> dice. <laughs> you, roll, you roll doubles I'm three times. I'm a professional game gamer. <laughs> you roll doubles three times, you go to jail? Yeah. <laughs> okay. That happened okay. to me a lot. My mom blamed the dice that she was also rolling and never rolled as well for her. Um, <laughs> You want so, if you're playing Monopoly, you want to be in jail. Best place to no, be. No, it's very fair. Why? Because you don't have to play the game. Yes, <laughs> partly yes, but uh, from a game design point, yet also yes, because you won't be stopping on spaces and paying people oh, rent. Oh, right. If you don't have jail. to pay rent in jail. Yeah. Um, anyway, <laughs> you just have to pay the price for your crime. Yeah, which. I don't really know what, dice. yeah, for, for aspiring real estate salesmen, pe- <laughs> people in Monopoly sure spend a lot of time in jail. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> crack, houses on, crack houses on boardwalk. <laughs> no, I think it's it's speeding, right? Because you roll too high, you would Sometimes be moving too fast. Sometimes you just draw a fast. chance card and you go to jail. Yeah. You got caught. Which, which given, what? you Being know what? rich. Is, no, you know what? This is like poignant. It's designed to be an anti-capitalist no, game. Monopoly has become a poignant game where you can just be driving down the street and by chance a cop <laughs> sends you to jail. I yeah. mean... This is, no, no, we need to revisit Monopoly as At a the same social time, commentary. You do just get out by rolling doubles again. Yeah, it's kind of what the parole board ever feels on that day. Yeah. day. Uh, swinging back around to deck building games. <laughs> it's all right. We can cut all this in post. It's fine. Um, no way am I going to cut all this good, good Monopoly content. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Reminding are... the community that we are amazing board gamers who have played everything. I know Everyone needs to just be reminded that Monopoly yeah. is unfortunately and fortunately most people's way into board gaming that being said monopoly deal great fast cheap game oh yeah 10 out of 10 yeah five bucks for next a week's card board game. game of the week yeah <laughs> not mine I, I, um, it's fine it's yeah. i think part of Tyler what makes it, it so yeah. good is that just as an offshoot of monopoly because monopoly is so terrible yeah. you know it's yes. like a bad movie having an awesome sequel but the problem is, is the only reason the sequel was awesome is because it takes five minutes. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, um, I mean, do you guys want to know what I think makes a good deck building yeah, game? Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> well, too bad, because I'm going to tell you. Hmm. Um, you I think it has a lot to do also with what you were saying about variability, Rob. Mm-hmm. For me, I think in deck building games, which obviously most of my experience is playing Dominion, but this is something I was thinking about in the game I'm talking about this week as well is tempo and pace. Mm -hmm. Like in deck building games, players generally have an enormous amount of control of the pace of the game. And that's one of the big challenges is trying to figure out, is your opponent still in the mid game? Are they onto the end game? Like you have so much control over 
when the game ends and how fast you push it. Well, it's yeah. a word I'm going to use that Ascension, and Rob will talk about it a, a lot. Not necessarily this word, but uh, the game. But I always look as a thing in deck builders watching velocity. Right. Yeah. Uh, decks gain velocity. And like it, mm-hmm. it's to me, Ascension, you know, shows it very well. So I don't want to spoil yeah. too much. But like you can feel. I mean, in the Dominion, too, there are times where someone will shuffle their deck. And then all of a sudden, their engine has just come together. Well, exactly. And it just instantly pops off, but, like, as soon as they draw their hand. Yeah, it's yeah. like, shit. Uh, unless someone, <laughs> though, is is having a terrible game, everyone, you know, the, should the, be the game Yeah, everyone's doing it to some extent, up. but sometimes and it happens yeah, really it's, suddenly. It's just, it's a cool thing about deck builders, whereas, like, you know, a lot of games will maintain their same pacing throughout. Yeah. And certainly, basically, but, like, literally, it almost feels like the, even though the turns are getting longer like the speed of your actions are picking up because these decks sure. are trending. And, you know, with, sure. with, without further, you know, going into it more, let's let's just move Hold on, on to some... I have a very important discussion point here in the script. Okay. And I, I don't want to breeze past this note because <laughs> when I was writing, you know, writing up our show notes, okay, is it deck building, one word? Deck building, building. with two words? Or deck, or deck dash building? What do you what do you all think? I want your professional opinion. I think it's 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 capital D deck, capital B building, but no space. No space in between. No space. Like like a MySpace handle. Yes. Deck building yes. sixty nine. Yes. I'm guessing Davy, you don't think it matters. No. Okay. Okay. Is it war gaming or war gaming or war slash gaming? Dash gaming. I think we're reaching for humor. (laughs) I just wanted to know. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my game in this segment is Ascension, a deck building game. It is created by John, I mean, John Furillo. John Furillo. I'm Uh, reading that as Fiorillo. John Fiorillo. And you're Italian and shame on you. Yeah. Okay. Next time Lorenzo pops up on here, I'll get it better. Justin, uh, Gary, I'm fake Italian anyway. Those are the two creators and uh, created by Stoneblade Entertainment in 2010. Uh, the theme of this game is a strange world of mystical and magical themed warriors and heroes fighting powerful demons, dragons, and other such. Most importantly, her- what's the one that you can always kill? The heretic? The, her- the, uh, the, the cultist. The cultist. The there, cultist. I- there is a heretic that was in, he ex- comes in later expansions. Into an expansion. Right, right, right. The game is themed around a deck building game in which you have a set of, a preset of constructed 10 cards. Expansions change this in a slight way, adding to them a small number to compensate for mechanics that have been created. That it is important to note that there are many of those. The core game itself has uh, only two or three major mechanics going on, but as the game is created, it's nine major expansions and approximately 25 promo individual card and oh, packet expansions. Wow. Uh, it's a lot. It has changed incredibly to the point where it is no longer noticeable from its original form to it is now. The very core mechanics of this game are a buy and fight system. Uh, each card in this game will effectively, for the most part, give you buy or fight to affect the two most po- uh, most prevalent forms of cards in the buy row. These are monsters and more cards you could acquire. Other cards are purchasable by buy and monsters are, per- are defeatable by fight. Something interesting about Ascension to me is those are all in the same row. Yes. So there are times where in order to get more cards into the market row, 
to purchase, you might have to kill some monsters. That is yes. a divisive thing on what people both like and hate about Ascension. Yep. Yeah. 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 Theming no, in this game does a really good job of telling you what you're going to be trying to do in this game. There are three, uh, sorry, four major archetypes of theming across different colors. There's purple, brown, green, and uh, a neutral uh, gray. Each one of those has a name. and they No, all you have... think of it as brown. Well, because I'm used to one of the expansions with a character whose card is framed in brown. Okay, the mechanic is characters are like white. The mechanic? Also, oh, yeah, there's yeah, yeah. like a green? Yeah, yeah I said pur- green. What did purple, I say? You did say purple, green? green, you know, blue, silver. Yeah, white. I definitely blue, think silver. of that as blue. Yeah. The point is that each one of these colors often has cards that will be very synergistic with the rest of them. Where it'll oh, say, yeah. if you play a green card, or in this case, life bound. Life bound. Life bound will say, if you play another life bound spell this turn, you all you gain another buy or you draw yeah. another card. These are encouraging you to create decks that are synergistic in and of themselves. All of your cards in the beginning are neutral, so you're starting off on the same plane. But as you create your deck, it generates new colors for you, and you're trying to make a deck that works together. Coming off of our our last episode, where we talked a lot about magic. Yeah, I, you know that that system seems very derivative of the color wheel system, or like Absolutely. inspired by the color wheel system. Yes, and it works very much, and so that. Each of these colors has their own things they can and cannot right, do. Like, right. So you want some combination. Of some, of, yeah. yes. And like the void itself is this this fighting people that live in a very terrifying environment. And thus almost all of their cards are either to do with banishing cards from your deck. Right, that's the purple archetype, fights. right? Yes. I really like that one. I like that one as well, but it has many downsides in the same right. way that all of these right, do. Right, right. Uh, so a, a thing to remember because we're, we're making these magic relations I talk about how as a magic player this is you know a thing that brought me back in you know Board Game Geek is listing I think John Fiorello and Justin Gary as the two designers I'm pretty sure if I go and grab my box because I have the original game it will also credit Rob Doherty and Darwin Castle who would break off and do their own stuff but they're both magic hall of famers yes oh really um, and so this this game was designed by and Justin Gary isn't a Hall of Famer, but was a, is a significant Magic player, you know, of his time. And then this game would go on to continue to be designed uh, with, like, guest, you know, designs by Brian Kibler, uh, oh, yeah. Patrick Chapin, mm-hmm. I believe Richard Garfield at some point helped out on one set or two. Yeah. Or promo set of cards, I, yeah. I can see that. Uh, so, like, this game feels like a Magic deck builder sure not mm-hmm. in that it's anything like playing magic but somehow they preserved the color pie yeah. right, of magic right. into ascension because right. it's just how they feel and evaluate cards yeah my favorite thing about this game overall is is the design of them much like a magic card which once i've understand the intrinsic parts of it can read them at a glance and understand what they do with keywords and colors and such uh, this game is incredibly easy to comprehend as a design standpoint. If I see a life-bound card, I know that card's probably going to have something to do with gaining victory points or right. gaining more life-bound heroes right. in the game, a classification of one of the cards you can buy. But they're not going to have a tremendous amount of exiling effects. In fact, life-bound is devoid of any ability like that because it's not in their color wheel. Right, right, right. It's very interesting to just just see that from a distance and know for a fact that card will not be able to do that. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty intuitive system for yeah. someone who's just first sitting down yeah. to the game. 
do you have a do you have an anecdote to share with us? Oh, my favorite. Uh, for a little while, I was working at a game store that required me to travel for about two hours on the train. It was a lot of fun. Oh, shit. Yeah. One day, I was uh, on the train, and some someone asked me while I had my headphones on what I was playing on my cell phone. Ascension conveniently has an app for the iPhone. Is there any way for you to see how many hours you've logged on it? I cannot, but I will let you know it's somewhere around 2,000. Just because of the amount of time I play. Insane. I wish there was some way to look. I was on the toilet earlier and I was playing because I was bored. It's become <laughs> almost second nature to me. I memorized almost all yeah. the cards. Rob, Rob's played more Ascension than anyone I know. Like, period. Yeah. Down. And when you're playing on the app, it's just against an AI, right? I can play against other people. I, for the most part, don't choose to because of data restrictions. <laughs> right. I mean, sure. Yeah. Uh, I have before in the past played people, uh, but... Due to the innate nature of the app being a turn-by-turn system, if they step away, suddenly I can't play my game again. <laughs> yep. So, uh, not yeah. my favorite thing. But uh, this gentleman on the train seemed really interested on what was going on. And I, I noticed him, coincidentally, later at the game store I was working at, looking around to buy oh, games. Oh, that's awesome. Funny. Yeah, so I, I told him about it, and he seemed really interested. And he was just, he stopped by to see if we, like, had games. And I was like, yeah, we do. We have Ascension. Of course. And it was great. Did he, did he leave with an Ascension? No, he just wanted to check out the store. He, I, I'm, I'm, yeah, he just came in to say hi. Well, now I don't care about this story. Yeah, yeah. You almost had a happy ending. Yeah. I know. <laughs> you Cut this whole story. <laughs> well, we, let's just do it again with a different ending. <laughs> yeah, we, we can that was a this. good start. Uh, but let's workshop No one's, no workshop one's satisfied um, with this. I want to know more about who this person is. Can we get sort <laughs> of a physical where? description. Let's give him a name. Let's give him a background. Uh, male, white, 30s, I guess. His name is Chester, Good. and he works at a pharmacy. There we go. We're, a Dwayne Reed. No, I don't want just a pharmacy. Yeah. He's a manager. CVS. He's been there for about three years, and he's very frustrated with the no, corporate. He's thinking about leaving because he thinks he can do better. He's going to start, you know, a small mom and pop pharmacy. <laughs> We've gone so far. There's a Euro game for this, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Um, All right. So, do we want to talk about some likes and dislikes? Oh, I see you. You have, have some a, notes here. I have a, a decent amount of notes. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They are. Listed as the happies and the sads. Yes, for, yeah. uh, on the script here, so uh, your reminders. <laughs> yeah, my my sads of this game, uh, as I noted, I have spent around two thousand hours uh, playing this app on my phone. During that logging, I have memorized all one thousand three hundred and eighty-eight cards currently available to purchase in the app and play as. It costs a total of like eight dollars to play, and price gougers. I know. I know. <laughs> Now, the problem I've noticed with this game in construction, all of the individual expansions contribute more to the game and they solidify themselves around the theming. And in case one of them was a night and day theming where new cards will have day and night. And if there's only day cards on the battlefield, it's daytime and certain cards. Is that an, is that an Ascension expansion? Yes. Because that's the newest Dominion expansion. <laughs> it, it came out like four years ago. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. I, I believe it. And uh, whatever cards, some cards will say, if it's daytime, do this thing. And my favorite is some cards will have the night mechanic on them. It'll say it's nighttime, but it'll it'll say on its card when you play it, if it's daytime, do this. So cards will have a duality to them. Sure. And this is across all of the different kinds of the game. The one most prevalent out of all of these was a character expansion. Each player would draft randomly a character. This character would be someone pivotal to the faction. As you bought cards from the faction aligned to your character, 
it would uptick an ability on the side of it. Once you got to a certain point for all of the characters, which was relatively low for the most part, you received a card for free. This card individually was incredibly powerful and often exemplified the faction in some way, with Void being able to banish cards and uh, Enlightened being able to create more of the soldiers that you're playing in the game. Now, in such a way, this is designed to encourage you to play a deck around this theme, which on paper is fantastic. It's like, you're themed into this. Now now see if you can make it's, it work. It's giving you an archetype. But the problem is, when it comes down to the thousand cards that you can play... When I'm starting to create my deck, if instead of saying, I want to be in black, I want to be in, uh, sorry, purple or green, I can pick up that one purple card that's like a draw card and banish something in your discard. I'm like, sure, that has nothing to do with void. It lets me thin my deck out. Right. And then I pick up the green one that's like draw two cards and gain a victory point. So some of them are really more neutral. Yeah. Well, th- this, and, you know, we talked about this a little before, but this leads to a problem not just in Ascension, but it is prevalent in Ascension in almost every deck builder. Yeah. Mm, a lot of deck builders. A lot of deck builders. Um, and I think more than people want to admit or realize that in many cases in a deck builder, buying the most expensive card in the market row that you can afford is generally... Yeah. the right decision yeah and you know people will say you know dominion doesn't have that problem but it's like well it depends on the set there's, there, but there's yeah. like but it's like there's three five cost cards in the set two of them are bad and one of them is good in the one you will buy when you have five yeah and you know maybe the six isn't good enough so there's mm-hmm. the five but in many cases there's always a top end card and it's always worth it yeah and it's hard for and this isn't you know it's hard for games like ascension or dominion or any deck builder to because otherwise, what would be the point? If the expensive card wasn't just better than the less cards... Yeah. It, well, it of wouldn't... course, of course. But you might have a strategy that is based around the a synergy between two specific cards. So you might just go back and forth between buying those two cards and making sure that engine works. You know, it depends on the set. It no, depends correct. on your strategy. There's always yeah. exceptions to the rule. But the, like, if, if the card... And that's the thing is the card, in order to have a high cost, it needs to be have a degree of power associated to it yeah and you know there's less of a control on that in deck builders and there isn't say like match the gathering where spells have a casting cost and so a lot of times you don't play the most expensive spell because you just might not be able to ever have a mana base that affords it'll come out too late yeah but in most deck builders playing a card is free yeah it's the acquisition of it mechanically that is difficult so if you can overcome that hump it's hard to balance the card thereafter. Sure, sure. Which is why this phenomena happens across multiple deck builders. One other problem I have with this game specifically, intrinsically, is that a lot of their expansions are built in a vacuum in and of the other cards. Interesting, really. I'm confident in this because the number of infinite combos in this game is exceedingly high. Sure. There's like five that you can just trip over and have happen. Some of them are single card combos. What do you mean by infinite combo? So you I will deck be, yourself. Not not that I'll deck myself. That I will literally be able to go infinite. There is a card in this case. That what is, is infinite? It to He's keep going forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. One like of your you, turn never ends. You will never end and be able to keep making this action forever. Sure. One such card is a, an artifact that comes in play, and when it's played, it doesn't do anything when it sits there. But you can sacrifice it and choose a hero that costs four or less in the buy row and duplicate its effect. If mm-hmm. this card allows you to draw a card, you draw the and it's the last card in your deck, you draw it back and play it, and then can do that again and again and again and again and again. And if this gives you any buy or fight or does something else right, besides that, right. 
I've literally had that happen to me several times playing against the AI who has just accidentally created an infinite loop of being oh, able sure. to continue to win. Well, so this is, you know, this will go on with my criticism of Ascension, yeah. whereas um, for, I guess, part of that design in a vacuum is that without the app, mm-hmm. it is, I'm not going to go with impossible, that's the wrong word, but I'll use that here and just you can sub in any word you like. It's impossible to play Ascension in paper form with everything. You said there's 1,000, oh, yeah. like so many cards. A lot cards. of cards, yes. But, you know, it probably in the, is yeah, in, a shit ton. Yeah. The app, thankfully, makes that giant stack of cards invisible and <laughs> shuffleable. Yeah. yeah. But it's, I imagine very few people play Ascension with everything shuffled together because god it's just so fucking much (laughs) and that's jesus that's the main thing i think for me that i don't love about ascension and i think part of it is just that i played dominion first fair you know because they're both really early deck builders they have some fundamental similarities and some fundamental differences yeah and for me one of the things i really like about dominion is you have that 10 card kingdom yeah that everyone's pulling from the same buy options that are always there each of them has a stack of 10 when it runs out they're gone mm-hmm. it's only interesting like and, and again where we mentioned that the the fight cards and the cards you want to buy being in the same rows what people do yeah. like about ascension the yeah. dominion bot market row is what i hate about dominion yeah, yeah. and i I mean, I see both sides of it, and yeah, I do find it's, it's, there's no right answer. I find yeah. the mark the the monsters in the market row like interesting, yeah, for sure. In mm-hmm. in Ascension, and the game I'm about to talk about has that as well. But yeah, I think that's the thing for me about Ascension. Like, just because I don't know the game, I haven't played it for two thousand hours or whatever it is that you said. <laughs> you um, fucking novice. <laughs> yeah. So I I can't um I can only go based on. Your what I see, <laughs> yeah. no, just what I see in the market row because yeah. I can't remember all those cards. Like I know <laughs> sort of what's going to come up in terms of like some of them are going to let me trash, some of them are going to let me draw, some of them will give me stars, some of them will give me knives. Red icon red, fight. Red I just fight. It's the one that has to kill monsters. I don't know what it's called. <laughs> but what's it shape like? A red circle with a slash through it. Oh, right, yeah. right, right. And like, di- a, like a no symbol. And the buy is a white it's a uh, triangle thing. It's white triangle. Victory triangle. points to the star. Oh, yeah, the victory, okay, the okay, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. Is honor the buy value, right? He's honor. No, honor is the victory point value. Honor is the victory point value. Yeah. Okay. In Dominion, I can look at the start of the game and I can see what's available. Even in Heart of Crown, you know, you can see the 10 cards that are going to be shuffled all together at the start of the game and then it's kind of random which ones are available at any given time but you still know what's going to be coming up yeah so i think that's my like personally what doesn't click for me for ascension the flip side for the people who haven't played these games are not wondering what the other side of the argument might be um because we are not going over like other games that are uh have necessarily the presentable row in the traditional sense well they um, can listen to episode one yeah, talking yeah about Dominion. but we don't but like my my complaint about that is that it's just like in my in my opinion uh it, there's only ever really three cards that matter mm. in any of those like sure. present rows and that that feels bad because like that's the game though the game is figuring out which three cards matter sure oh so many times in playing ascension the number of cards in the center row that are even worth paying attention to is less than three correct but they will change but I there's only six of them and they're constantly rotating cards are being bought and replaced and then sometimes things just clear the row 
any other final thoughts, likes and dislikes on Ascension? No, we've covered a decent amount of it. So the game I'm talking about is Clank, a deck building adventure game. Now that's Clank with a exclamation point and then a colon, which you don't <laughs> always see that. No, no. Exclamation point colon. So this is a game by Paul Denon. It was published in 2016 by Renegade Game Studios. And I believe with uh, Direwolf as a the side company helping design it. Oh. Yes. Which is important to note only because Direwolf currently employs a bunch of former very good pro Magic players. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. so again, yes. just I, making I, the point of deck building. I believe LSV helped on one of their very recent projects. That is Conley Woods game. also works for Direwolf. Yep. Yeah. So in Clank, all of the players are competing rogues, thieves who are trying to loot this dungeon while avoiding the dragon. And something mechanically that makes this game really stand out from other deck builders is it actually has a board. So like in other deck builders, everyone starts out with the same 10 cards at the start, and those cards can help you buy other cards. They help you move through the dungeon, so from one area to another area on the board, um, and they also help you fight monsters. Courtney, I'm going to cut you off. You're misleading every listener here. You're, na- you're putting this game on your list because it's got a bag you pick things from. I'm getting to the you're, bag. You're dodging it. You're trying to hide this. Not why you picked this game. I'm building I- up to the climax <laughs> of the discussion, which is the game has a bag. So wow. in addition um, to the three things I already mentioned, letting you buy, letting you move, letting you attack monsters, cards might also give you clank. The sound a rogue makes while carrying treasure <laughs> or running through a exactly, dungeon. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So when you have Clank, you are drawing the attention of the dragon. Obviously, this is very bad. And something that else that makes this game a little bit different, you have to play all of your cards. Because otherwise, you would be able to just skip the cards Correct. that have Clank. And <laughs> yeah. you can't do that. I'm just going to not um, make any noise this round. I think you start, I think everyone starts with two stumbles in their deck, which just make you clank, make you clank. They they don't do anything else. Do they not make you move to? No, I don't think they do anything else. So everybody starts with uh, a bunch of cubes of their color. And when you clank, you put them in the clank tank. Clank bank. (laughs) Or the clank bank. Um, So, you know, it's on the board where all the cubes go. Exactly. So if the card says clank two, you take two of those cubes and put them in the little clank zone. Now, intermittently throughout the game to the color that you are as a player. Yes. Everyone has their own individual clank cubes. Yes. So intermittently throughout the game, the dragon is going to attack. Some of the cards that you buy in the marketplace have a dragon symbol on them. So when a card with the dragon symbol enters the marketplace, then the dragon's going to attack. So when the dragon attacks, you take all of those cubes from the clank bank and you put them in a very lovely velvety velvety black bag. It's got a red Mm -hmm. dragon symbol on it. And it also has a bunch of black cubes in it, which is not a player color which is important. So you put all those player color cubes in there, and then depending on the phase of the game... How angry uh, the dragon is. Yeah. Depending on how angry the dragon is, precisely, that determines how many uh, cubes you pull out of the bag. If you pull out a player cube, that goes on their health track. If their health track fills up, they die. It's a really awesome mechanism. No, it's I'm cool. super, super into it's, it. Yeah. it. 
the amount of suspense that like <laughs> oh, it's the table oh, has it's as one player is like pulling cubes out. And it's like black cube and everyone's size. It's like red cube and someone's just like damn, damn it. it and then they get a red cube. It's like damn it and then blue cube like oh thank thank god and someone yeah. else at the table is damn yeah. it. <laughs> it's a it's a really cool method of randomization and it's really thematic. Um, like you can really envision all these little thieves running through the dungeon and getting like randomly torched Roasted. by the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. It's really good. So to talk a little bit more Great game theming. Oh yeah, sense. yeah, amazing theming. I totally agree. To talk a little bit more about the mechanisms, you have the board which is divided into sort of a castle on the top, and then the depths, which is the uh, sort of caves and. Uh, the dungeon. So down there, you have loot laid out at, at different point values. You also have secrets you can uncover. There's some other bonus goods you can pick up. You can pick up some tools like a backpack that helps you carry more stuff or a key that helps you unlock some doors. And it means that each player can strategize. Like, am I going to try to go in and grab that five point treasure that's up towards the top and then dash out or i'm gonna try to do a really deep delve and try and get that 25 point treasure that's all mm -hmm. the way at the bottom and hope that i make it out on time because once the first player has exited the castle it basically starts a countdown track yeah. um and from then on anytime it would be their turn the dragon attacks and i think after four or five times of that happening the game is over and if you have not made it out of the depths and into the castle you can't score no matter what yeah. if you make it into the castle the villagers save you i believe yeah. thematically the dragon like collapses the cave yeah That's exactly you're, you're dead underground or you make it out of the cave it's collapsed and the villagers like find you and pick you up there's no award because you didn't like pass the finish line and break the ribbon holding your trophy exactly <laughs> exactly um and you do get a reward for getting out. Is there anything else I haven't covered in terms of the theme and the mechanisms? No, that's, you, that's you hit the nail the on the head. That the, the board is just the important thing is that it adds the need for a movement uh, yes. card. And yes. in turn and additional strategy of how am i gonna try to move yes. and where's that person going Planning and oh rooms. shit they took the vase i really wanted but that vase damn it that starting with dominion and at least you know the early expansions and ascension and stuff dominion only had really one resource you cared about and a lot of deck builders only right. do and then it, right. and then ascension expanded that i was like well what if there's two resources you care about right and then clank was like what if there's three base resources you yeah. care about there's, yeah now there's fight buy and now move and move is yeah. how you navigate this yeah. map and you also i mean there are cards also that give you points at the end of the game you always have access to buy i believe it's called a wizard's tome yep. which just yeah. gives you seven points at the end of the game and doesn't do anything else so if you're on your way out you can buy a bunch of those because you're not worried about them clogging up your deck yeah so it, it adds some additional like the gift shop on the way out of the museum <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> grab a book and yeah my, my niece will want one of these there's a dragon right behind me but could i see your wizard's tome section <laughs> <laughs> let me get one of those wizard's tomes and let me stab this goblin real quick yeah because <laughs> you can always that's the clank equivalent of like, yeah. uh, the cultist of fighting the cultist you can always fight the goblin yep. yep so my little anecdote about clank and i think this was the last time i played it actually and this is also kind of a story about why i just i'm not gonna play games in public spaces anymore <laughs> <laughs> i think this was the last time i took a game to a bar and i think it will really be the last time i take a game to a bar i mean there are a few places that are good for playing games in public 
game stores can mm, be one of them depending on the game or it can be a horrible place to play games. yeah de- depending on the store depending on the store depending on the time but bars are definitely not one of them but you know we live in brooklyn it's there's a lot of it's, bars there's a lot of bars and and bars are trying to cash in on the fact that people want to play board games a little bit more mm-hmm. now so i was meeting up with my family at like a you know pubby type place uh, with my brothers and their girlfriends, partners. And I had brought Clank and King Domino. Or rather, my brother had brought his copy of Clank. We played King Domino first, but while we were playing that, somebody came by to ask us about Clank, which I thought was kind of funny because it was just like sitting on the table completely closed. And they were <laughs> like, what's up with this game? Something else I want to mention about this bar. Yeah. They have like 10 copies of Jenga. Yeah, obviously. What Just else like for patron use. The board game. But this is not the crux of the story because we then got booted from this particular establishment because they said our table was reserved for an event, which they had not notified us of. And we definitely Boom. wouldn't have sat down there. Like, look, this was North Brooklyn, Williamsburg, Bushwick yeah. bullshit. And I don't want any of my lovely siblings who are probably listening to this to think that I'm calling them out because I'm definitely not. I love family game times. Um, but we just ended up- Just not at bars. Just not at bars. Yeah, I I don't want to do that. So we ended up going to another extremely similar establishment and taking out Clank and setting it up. And at this point, everybody's had a couple beers and other people are coming into the bar. I am in the position of being like the soberest person who is the only person who knows the rules, which isn't the funnest position to be in, but we're having a good time. And this guy, you know, we'd, we'd been joking around a lot because part of the fun of Clank is yelling Clank, much like Jenga is yeah. part of the fun is Correct. yelling Jenga. Yeah, it's what you do. It's what you do. <laughs> and, yeah. Not just scream at the top of your lungs. Well, and you know, when, when I'm playing, you know, games like Viticulture, every time <laughs> I make a bottle of wine, I'm like, Viticulture! Viticulture! <laughs> I did it. Um, So, you know, we'd been saying clank a lot. And this guy, uh, you know, was sort of walking around the bar and stuck his head towards our table and was like, oh, that looks interesting. What are you playing? And everyone like simultaneously turned at him and went clank. Um, And he was, you know, he was like, what? Like he didn't get (laughs) it at first. He doesn't get the humor. He's just Um, trying to figure something out. Anyways, it was a simultaneously frustrating but enjoyable time. So getting into some of my likes and dislikes about this game. I mean, this is this is a game where players totally get to determine game tempo, mm-hmm. like I talked about mm-hmm. at the top of the episode. Um, and like I talked about in my description, you know, you decide how deep you're going to go into the dungeon. Uh, you have to keep track of where other people are trying to go. And, you know, am I am I going to get the crown before they get the crown? Blah, blah, blah. So I'm super into that. My dislike for this game is the deck building aspect is a little, I don't want to call it weak, but it's not as emphasized. I never really feel like I built a deck at the end of the game, you know? So this is what I like about Clank, actually. And, as, and I love deck builders that... Clank is very careful about how much deck thinning it lets you do. Yeah. The trashing is very limited. And there's a point to that thematically is that it doesn't want you to be able to get rid of as much Clank as you'd like to. Yeah. Because that wouldn't make sense because as you are a rogue going through this dungeon and grabbing more things and becoming more cumbersome, you shouldn't be able to be quieter. Right. You should 
only be able to be louder, and maybe you get but more a lot skillful. Of the, a lot of the good cards also have clank. Oh, Correct. yeah. But and what I've noticed is a lot of the cards that are uh, lacking in card advantage or the ability to power you through your deck are cards that move. And that is so, in my opinion, smart. Because yeah. they make you unoptimize your deck so you can get That's through the true. dungeon. So And it's yeah. cool because you can see a lot of like expert deck builders, but maybe novices at clank, will build this powerful deck that mows through itself and they realize it's very quickly. They get stuck. They're not yeah. going anywhere. Yeah. They're stuck in the so same the, place. So the deck building mechanics are there to yeah. deck them. They don't it's, want you to use all of them. No. It's actually, I, I don't know if it's strictly a dislike so much as this doesn't feel like an exclusively deck building game. Yeah, it no. feels like a game that has deck building as mm-hmm. a mechanism yeah, among other mechanisms. So it's not I, necessarily something I dislike so much as something that's just different. I can see the box from where we are, and I believe it doesn't say a deck building uh, game. I believe it's, it's a, deck, a deck, building deck building adventure, adventure game. It's a deck building adventure. adventure game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is an adventure. So my my other small dislike is that the map is pretty static. So if you have played the game a bunch of times, yeah, like you might have a designated strategy. It is um, randomly generated. It is the same map every time. Yeah, cool. it has a flip side of the board um, for for more experienced players, which is cool. But it might be interesting to have a little more randomization in the board. Well, despite thinking that um, Clank in Space was a cheap money grab, I think you yeah. mean Clank. In space! Yes. Despite thinking that game was a cheap money grab and could have just been an expansion, cool thing that game did to combat what you're talking about is the map is modular and randomizes before you start. Oh, that's sweet. Right? (laughs) That sounds great. Smart solution. So my my quick thoughts on Clank, other than what I love that the game actually doesn't let you deck thin as much as you like want to. Right. Um that was actually what I originally liked about the game because like when I play deck builders, I love comboing at, you know and decking myself every turn. I like hyper thinning. And it was very clear in my first place that that is not what Clank wants you to do. No, and that's like, not what that's, the game is about. That's very cool. It's making me do something different. And I like when it through not just the rule books. The rule book doesn't really hit you into that, but through play the game through its mechanisms and its theming makes clear why it's different. And so when I played Clank, I bought it immediately because I was just like, it is very clear what this game is doing differently and what it doesn't want me to do. And what it doesn't want me to do is treat it like a a normal deck builder, like every other deck builder I play and right into the collection it goes because that's what being different gets you. It gets you a special treatment and an immediate purchase. Yeah. My favorite about it is though, you've talked about it already, how in other deck builders you have this, you're always often incentivized to buy the most expensive thing you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And in this game, you're de-incentivized to do that if you're already making too much sound because those cards will often give you more Because clicks. you can't, and, and also because you can't thin as well, you are a lot more careful with your purchases yeah. and your buys are a lot more curated than, say, a game like Ascension where it's just like, I've got like, five to six void cards in the deck i'll buy whatever the fuck i want and handle it later if i find it if i don't like it through the first deck through i'll I'll pitch it yeah clank you gotta be a lot more curated so it does fight the idea of buying just the most expensive in the market row which sometimes is right but like the gems which naturally clank the dragon's gems but are worth victory points like yeah 
you find yourself thinking about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also really like how the fight value on the card can be used to fight monsters in the market row, and it can also be used on to help map. you get through yeah, monsters monster uh, monster areas on the map without taking damage. Mm-hmm. So I think that's super cool. Yeah. There are a lot of cool things this game does. Yeah. It's a really good game. Seems like we're ready to move on from Clank. Uh, Davey, uh, what would you like to talk about? All right. So, Courtney... Thought she'd be cool with her long-named board game. Thought it's not it was that long. Clank exclamation point colon extra title. We'll take this. <laughs> Time of Crisis. The Roman Empire in turmoil 235 to 284 AD. Close parentheses. Close parentheses. Could also just be called Time of Crisis, but this game has a full title and I feel the need to, to say it. Okay, so we will be referring to it as its full title. Yes. <laughs> Every, Every time. time. Time of Crisis, the Roman Empire in Turmoil, 235 <laughs> to 284 AD by Ray Farrell and Brad Johnson, released in 2017 by GMT Games, is a very different deck builder. And I was wowed by it on my first playthrough. And I thought of all the deck builders I could do. I thought about a few acres of snow because that one's different. But this game is, to me just doing so many different things that deck builders aren't naturally doing i it might not be the best introductory deck builder in fact it's definitely not a good introductory deck builder it's a gmt game so the rule book is almost always not poorly written the rule books are written well but they are written very dry yeah their rule books are sandpaper two c's um yes thick with two c's (laughs) for sure it wasn't too bad to get through, though. It's it's definitely... And it's a good introductory war game, I'll say, if you're coming from outside the war gaming genre, but possibly coming from other deck-building genres. But so the the theme of Time of Crisis, the Roman Empire in Turmoil, 235 AD, uh, to 284 AD, is that it is the third century Roman crisis, which was a time of 50 years where there was tons of civil wars, barbarians coming in from all sides. And my favorite part is, of these civil wars, pretenders which were essentially just people all, you know, not all over, but in different parts of the Roman Empire, claiming that they were the emperor. They were, I am the emperor! They were pretenders to the throne. Now, are they, like, doing identity theft, or are they being like, it's me, I'm the emperor now? No, in Time of Crisis, the Roman Empire in Turmoil, 235 to 284 AD, the figures that they're discussing were claiming that they were the actual emperor, and that whoever was sitting on the throne in Rome was not the real emperor that they are, they're, but they are not claiming to be that person by name. Right, they're, right, they're, right. I'm, I'm Davy the emperor. Courtney's a fake like, emperor. I like the idea of a world, you know, pre-internet, pre-television, yeah. where you could be like, you don't know what Nero looks like. I'm Nero. <laughs> I mean, fortunately, unfortunately for the, those people, they did because there were statues and stuff. Like it was and common coins. to make those. Yeah, oh, correct. Re- that that happened a lot back in the day. A lot of it though was through letters when you would send yes. someone to say that they said this and they couldn't disprove it because they were fucking five days away That's by when horse. Seals started becoming super yes. important. Wait, yeah. seals? Seals? Yes. The, they they clap their hands. They go arf arf arf. Before this, it was sea lions, but they were too uh, cumbersome. Yeah. I don't know why I they thought. Evolve, they evolve into dugong. <laughs> no, that's sveal. Ah, I sound stupid. <laughs> yeah, no, the the thing with the wax. Or yeah, the no, I and- as soon as soon as I said seals, I realized, oh yeah, seals. Yeah, fucking idiot. They eat fish. Yeah. Um, so there, yeah. there's there's a lot of things going on that separates this from a deck building game. One. Similar to Clank, it has a board. 
but this is a war game. So this board is broken into territories. We're essentially looking at the Roman Empire when it's pretty goddamn big. It's North Africa. It's got Britain. It's got all of Europe. It's got some of Eastern Europe. Just like Risk. Yeah. Just like Risk. <laughs> it's a large map and you're going to be moving forces, which are not cards, but, ch- you know, chits, cardboard squares around the map representing your forces, what areas you control, putting governors in certain areas and so on. The thing that separate that makes it a deck builder is all these actions are done by cards that you will purchase from a market row and buy and then play every turn. Now, what's like a deck builder. Like a deck builder, you will build a deck. Like Dominion, there is a setup market row. Unlike Dominion, it is all of the cards that come with the game. And there's uh, three colors in the game. There's red, yellow, and blue. And they have a purchase uh, ones for uh, levels two, three, four, and five. At each in each color what's different and what i think is super cool is that there is no shuffling in this game at all how do you every turn deck you choose what cards from your deck you want to have in your hand and you have a five card hand interesting and Mm -hmm. what happens is then is let's say there's only three cards left in your deck you must choose those three cards and then you get the rest of your shuffle, disc- yeah. card pile back. You don't shuffle your no, discard no, pile because, yeah, no, there's, there's no there's point. There's no point. I know. Yeah. It's crazy. Your eyes are different. But so your hand is perfectly curated every turn, except if you had already played those cards and you haven't done a reshuffle yet, which means you do have to be careful to a degree about what card you're using because the way these colors are broken up, and this is my other cool thing I really like about it, is there's yellow cards, which are all about civil powers all those cards drive the populace whether you know how you deal with uh riots and please people and possibly how you deal with barbarians in some ways no sorry just just civil people blue cards can help you deal with barbarians or how you make senate actions how you control towns putting governors or possibly claim oh, i the always throne. manage those were all about money those well they're also either. about money but yeah. they're they're not exclusively um and then red cards which is all your military this very much in turn feels like the color pie. Again, we're going to revisit this from Magic, where there are certain card colors that are specifically doing certain things and they don't really intersect. And that's kind of cool. Yeah. You can use your military to qua- uh, to squash mobs, but the people fucking hate it and you lose confidence. Whereas if you use yellow cards to help you deal with mobs, you don't actually you pay them off. Uh, essentially, yeah. or you build works like coliseums and yeah. stuff that they're going to enjoy. Bread and circuses. Uh-huh. Yes. Which is super cool. The way that you generate resources, though, isn't by the cards. It's actually by the popularity that your governors have. Sure. So the mm-hmm. cards are used for actions in the game, and you know each action has colors that they come from. So if you want to put in a governor, you need blue cards to do that and so on. Yep. Uh, if you want to move your armies around, you need red cards to do that. So if I burned all my red cards you know, in my previous two turns, doing some good conquesting and players are paying attention, someone might start picking on my provinces and really battering into me. And I'm like, well, shit, I don't get my military cards back into my deck until like two more turns, Mm. which is really cool. And you're watching other players and given their deck isn't face up, but if you're paying attention and you see their discard pile, you do have an idea of what's going on. Sure. There is trashing in the game. There's all the regular deck building mechanics going on still, which is very, very cool. Um, it's just the way you're ne- going about it is very different. You have an anecdote for us for Time of Crisis? Yeah, I've got... Uh, <laughs> oh, we're, we're going to throw... You ha- played this too, Rob, right? Oh, yes. I I, I, I haven't. We're going to throw Harrison on I blast won. here. He's a good friend. He will probably never <laughs> play throw Time Throw him of- on blast? He, yeah. He, he's probably never going to play Time of Crisis with us again. Oh, no. And it's not his fault. Um, Don't blame him. So Time of Crisis is a long one. It's a long 
game because it's a war game. It's like a two-hour deck builder. So strap in if you're willing to play it. But so the way the barbarians work, which all the hordes coming in as you and your friends are trying to either claim the throne in Rome or just claim that you're a pretender and start your own empire, the barbarians randomly come in. They ro- You roll dice to see what tribes might be invading and where they're invading. Yeah. And man, I love RNG in games. I think it makes it, you know, there's stuff to plan around then and it's hard to, you have to always change your plans and accommodate. And this was just the worst case of RNG I've seen he, for he Harrison. He pissed off RNG Jesus. He can't do that. Can't do it. Leave RNG Jesus alone. <laughs> oh God. From turn one to the end of the game, if there were barbarians coming onto the map, it didn't matter if it was Harrison's holdings in Africa or Britain. They were coming <laughs> for oh him every time. He never got a break. And while me, Christina, and Rob figured out how we were going to control territories in Europe, Africa, and Rome, and how we were going to claim that we were the emperor, whether we were going to be pretenders or take Rome. Harrison was fighting barbarians from the start to the end of the game. To the point where he was like, listen, I'm going to be a good sport. Do you think that's why he cut his hair? Maybe. He just didn't want to be brought in with those barbarians. And there were points where he was like going over the couch and like laying down. He was, turning up, like, he was trying to watch the year's speech finals. Like, <laughs> yeah. He was he was such a good sport. But I hope Ellie was giving him consoling oh, snuggles. Oh, snuggles. Oh, I want to play the game again just to make sure this isn't like a regular thing. And I'm almost 100 percent not because the rules the rules that were happy were just absurd. That seems so unlikely. But yeah, he just he got crushed. Yeah. Um, so cool things about this game: expansion on the way, successful deck builder already have an expansion the p500 line it's getting pre-orders it's gonna gonna hit the main market super excited i love this game and want to play more of it i really do it was such a cool take on the genre the incorporation of it as a war game the choosing your own cards instead of shuffling it's doing everything different that i like same reason i picked up clank and was like oh it's it's doing different things i you know courtney i I want you to play it it's it's so i want to play it too so I, I have listed here, uh, and given Courtney, you might not have as many because you haven't played yet, but other people's inferior thoughts. Now I say this knowing that Rob actually won the game that we've played. I am the Emperor! Um, I am the Emperor. So, Rob, did you have any thoughts of Time of Crisis? Oh, yes, I actually do. My favorite part of this game is that unlike other uh, deck builder games, the uh, mechanic that involves around getting more cards and more better cards is not tied to those cards you are acquiring. Yeah. They don't, the cards don't give you more buy. They don't help you almost at all to do that until the very last levels of them. Yellow cards can help raise popularity. You're right. And that's important though. It gives it a purpose in the color putt wheel. It it is based on your board status. Mm -hmm. How many Providence you own and how much popularity you have in there allows you to buy certain cards. How popular are giving you currency. And trash. It's also a currency for trashing. And how many places you can own determines how you are allowed to buy things in the biro, which was my favorite part of it. At first, in my head, I was like, it's fine. I'll make a small emperor, get good cards, and do things. So I was mm-hmm. like, I can't even do that. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's no. super cool. It's, it's a very different take, and it's it's a different take because it's coming from a different type of designer. You yeah. Know? It, it's cool. And this is, you know, this is why martin wallace's a few acres of snow was so good it's cool seeing euro game designers try to take on war games and it's cool mm-hmm. watching war gaming designers take on deck builders it's mm-hmm. yeah. awesome to see designers out of their comfort zones yeah and you get really cool games when they do it yeah. absolutely i don't have any thoughts on this game that i haven't played <laughs> <sighs> you're, you're you're really not pulling your weight here <laughs> one thing i found slightly annoying uh, at the end of the game, you re- might recall me just uh, for I quickly 
took Emperor's seat and was like, I am the Emperor, and held it for a long time until Christine decided to try usurp me because she was she's like, a I shit. am Rob. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Rob's when he, the coins with his face weren't printed yet. And Christine's yeah. like, if there's a time to move, it's now. It's now. <laughs> um, and after Christine had gotten that, I had been on there for so long, I had acquired such a decent lead, I could buy the most expensive cards. And one of them, because normally you take mm-hmm. a place by military, allowed me to. the Senate, just, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just allowed me to take the city without fighting in military. So I didn't even need an army, which you normally need to do so. And again, I'm curious if this is, was a first play experience because we're all figuring out the game and yeah. you, and, and to your credit, you might have figured out a certain mechanics about it quicker yeah. um, or just because you thought you at least reap the benefits earlier of taking the throne oh, yeah. and, you know, I was trying, you know, I talked about it after, I should have just never tried to take the throne and been a pretender the whole time. Yeah. And I think I got scared out of it because I was like, wow, I was getting a lot of points quick. Maybe I should be doing that. I, I really want to play this game again and see, like, is it because you started garnering this leaders because we just didn't know how to not play oh, the yeah. game as emperor? Because oh, yeah. clearly a part of the game has to be like, there's going to be turns where I'm not emperor and I still have to maximize play, even though it's easier to certainly maximize play as the emperor. Yeah. Which I think was really cool. Mm-hmm. So... I think we should wrap up. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, we don't just wrap up. We move on to my, one of my favorite segments. My okay. favorite segment. It is my favorite segment. Okay. <laughs> Let's end this amazing episode by uh, talking about some of our games we're excited about this week. My game of the week for this particular week is Isle of Sky Journeyman. Not actually not a full game, but an expansion for Isle of Sky, which is one of my absolute favorite games. This is designed by Andreas Pelikan and Alexander Fistor. Uh the expansion. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. We're all adults here. Fister. <laughs> It's Fistor. Excuse me. It's Fistor. It's Fistor. So this expansion came out in 2017, but it's only just been made available in North America and is published by Lookout Games and Mayfair Games. It was originally a Mayfair game. Mayfair is gone. So yeah. now it is a Asmodi holding called Lookout right, Games. Right, It still as has- they swallow the entire- board gaming universe it still has like the the box still has the mayfair logo on it i love isle of sky this is a really interesting expansion because i don't know it expansion almost feels like the wrong word for it because it makes it into almost a completely different game changes a lot it doubles the amount of mechanisms easily isle of sky itself is a very simple uh, game, it's it's uh, it can be complex, but it's very easy to learn, easy to pick up. The Journeyman expansion just it it adds a lot, and I wasn't like immediately in love with it, but I'm excited to play it with a larger group because so far I just played it with Davy, and Isle of Sky generally doesn't play best with two. Feels very weird one on one. Yeah, it does. It does. So I'm I'm excited to uh, to keep playing it and. I'm just excited to see such a beefy expansion for one of my favorite games because mm-hmm. it's really, there's so much in there and there's another expansion coming out later this year. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, sweet. All right, Rob, Game uh, of the Week, hit me. My Game of the Week is Necromunda and subsequently the newest release of it, Necromunda Underhive. This is a game designed by Andy Chambers and uh, Jarvis Johnson and Rick Priestley. Did the name come up earlier, Rick Priestley? No, I said that earlier, okay. This game is uh, the newer version, as these were the ones for the original design. Uh, the newer for Necromunda Underhive was additionally designed by Andy 
Poir, but as they use a lot of the mechanics to carry over, I mm-hmm. feel like no, crediting correct. them as well. It's, it's still Necromunda. Uh, the original of Necromunda was designed in 1995 with Underhive coming out last year in 2017. And it's it's really not just Underhive, but it's a reboot of all it's, of Necromunda. It's a reboot. Yeah. Yes. Uh, this is a game by Games Workshop, a miniature war game company. This game is phenomenal. Uh, much like a lot of other Games Workshop games in a box, it can be played individually as a boxed game and has rules to compensate it. And it's an amazing game where you're fighting for territory and surviving in the Highly alive. thematic. Highly thematic. You're meant to play in a toward a like league style game where you'll have multiple games throughout the I think the, week. the word campaign is very campaign, fitting. Yes. It feels RPG-ish. Yes, where your characters will suffer like losses in the game and can also after surviving gain experience and The way Davy was describing it to me remind me a lot of uh Kingdom Death. Yes, very much so. Yes, yes, it's competitive. In terms of oh, in yes, terms of correct. the yeah. uh, character management Yeah, there's like system. a story and stuff. Yes. Um yeah, no, it's a game, cool game. Game's rad, pretty awesome. Can't wait to play more. My game of the week is Cuba Libre by Jess Grossman and Volko Runke, uh, or Runk. I'm probably saying this name wrong, so I apologize. You know it is possible to look up how ga- how names are pronounced. Eh. Mm. Uh, released <laughs> in 2013 by GMT Games. Uh, a, a important moment for me. This is my first coin game. Not that it involves any physical coins, but coin stands for counter in- insurgency. So it's basically uh, like a second bar mitzvah for you. Yeah, exactly. It's a type of war game. Is this one also going to be wrestling themed? Yes. Not at all. Uh, Rob made the same joke. <laughs> yes. When? Yes. Not not here, but yes. I said Cuba Libre, and Rob's like, is it a wrestling game? <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's about the Cuban Revolution between uh, 56 and 57, uh, and the counterinsurgency that you know the Batista regime had trying to stop it. It is a four-player asymmetrical war game, and it is super cool. And I will say, for GMT games, I expected a much thicker rulebook. Um, <laughs> Flatten you down. No, it's, you know what, it's, I read online that it was the most accessible coin game and in turn the best place to start, and it was a great recommendation. It is clear that this is a great introductory coin game, and I'm so excited to play more in the series. There's over 10 now. Um, I don't intend to buy all of them, but I intend, there's more than one, I, you know, I want to buy more than one, and I bought Cuba Libre first because it was like, listen, start here, it'll make learning all the others better, and I didn't want to buy a game and have it ruined because I had trouble figuring it out, which is, you know, a, a good side note. You do do research before you buy a game because, like, a lot of good recommendations might say, like, hey, there's easier ways to learn this or maybe there's another better place to start for games like this or so on. It, yeah. It's it's a cool thing, and I'm glad I did the research and took the recommendation of most people online who really enjoy the coin series who are like, play C- Cuba Libre first, and yeah. I'm so excited. The game oh, looks great. Can't always wait. check out the forums, blogs, mm-hmm. podcasts. Things like that. So, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> um, but I'm super excited for Cuba Libre. Very, it looks so fun. That is all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening and supporting our show. We are still a very young podcast. And if you've listened all the way to episode seven, we do really appreciate your support. If you'd like more details on the game discussed in this episode, you can check out the show notes where you can find all the games and all their info listed. You can find us on Facebook at Hot Games Cast, and you can contact us by emailing hotgamescast at gmail.com. And of course, if you're enjoying the show, we would appreciate you leaving us a rating and review or uh, and or share the podcast with a friend. 
Hashtag like, subscribe, share with friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. We'd like to thank Matan Uchin for our theme music. And we'd like to thank Stuart Crawford for some awesome cover art. As always, we hope that was as good for you as it was for us.